Hello and welcome to Discourse in Third Person, a podcast where we focus on the narratives found in video games, as well as the devices they use to tell a story. I'm Josh, and this is Jeffrey. How's it going, man? I'm doing good, I'm doing good. So today, Jeffrey, I thought we would talk about Dragon Age 2. So why are we uh, retreading a uh, nine-year-old game, Josh? Well, uh, it was a highly divisive game when it came out, and it still kind of is today. But as I understand it, for the both of us, it still has a place in our hearts. And I think for our inaugural episode, I think that's really worth talking about. Well, the people that dislike it are wrong. Jeffrey Chang here. We begin with topic one, going through the criticisms of Dragon Age 2. Then topic two, the themes around Templars and mages. And finally, topic three, concerning the climax of Dragon Age 2. Anyways, here's topic one. Oh, and a quick warning to our listeners, there will be spoilers. So looking back at Dragon Age 2, some of the common criticisms are that it was rushed, it used the same assets over and over again. It didn't have a lot of customization options. Some other issues with the game in regards to the origin of the player character, as well as the shortened Act 3, some perhaps bland side missions, go-fetch quests, things like that. I do remember those warehouses just seeming seemingly having infinite... Endless. And waves upon waves of uh, nameless thugs. <laughs> just popping in, popping <laughs> in while you're trying to, to fight. I remember caves with a lot of spiders in them. I that's right. Also caves, caves, warehouses, and the like. and spiders. <laughs> what would have been funniest if they had if they had swapped the thugs and the spiders? Like you go into the warehouse and you're like, oh, here's more thugs. Nope, surprise, it's spider time. Spiders. Well, look, I I could expect spiders in those warehouses, right? Well, you also expect thugs <laughs> in caves. That's true. Well, okay. So, being uh, you play you play in those caves and warehouses so much, it become quite familiar. <laughs> exactly where things yeah. are going to be. So, okay. So it was rushed. Is one one very common criticism. I believe it. It what? What was the development time of uh, Dragon Age Two, Jeffrey? A year and a half. A year Le- and less a half. than two years. That is crazy. Which is absurd. That is 100% absurd. Stamp it, ship it. <laughs> this <laughs> the EA Game Overlords came out and was like, yeah, that, that seems good enough. <laughs> Take a heavy drag we, from the we, cigar. <laughs> we got we to ship it by Q3, boys. <clears throat> got to gotta make that shareholder oh, value. Oh, that's true. Well, in light of the... In light of recent Bioware controversy, and, and uh, I'm speaking, of course, of the the crunch time, the the dreaded crunch time in video game development, and how mm-hmm. Bioware was was apparently what was it guilty of of labor abuses of labor abuses. It in hindsight is quite harsh. I'm pretty certain that it's EA Games' fault. Well, that's fair. That sounds exactly like an EA Games thing. But but in a, you know. I think one of the major differences between 1 and 2, Dragon Age 1 and 2, is that Dragon Age 1, you had a ton of different possibilities for, you know, choosing race, background, and starting position. So you could be, you could be a noble dwarf or a, you know, basically an untouchable dwarf, an underclass dwarf, 
and your uh, the first thirty minutes of the game were completely different. I believe there are six origins, right? And we're speaking, of course, of Dragon Age Origins. Dragon Age game. One, correct? Right, Dragon Age One. Um, they're much touted origins. There are six of them. You could be a city elf, a Dalish elf, a human noble, a dwarf, a mage. Both classes of dwarves. So yeah, six six origins. Yeah. And instead, in Dragon Age Two, a lot of fans took issue with the fact that your name is Hawk. No, if right, and right. buts about it. Your name is Hawk. You're a human. Right. You could be a human warrior, rogue, or or uh, mage, but you're human, and you're from a specific family in mm-hmm. Ferelden. So I guess Bioware committed the sin of having your your player character have a defined family name it was reasonable why they did it of course um in terms in just in gameplay terms it just easier to put voice lines so people could address to you right it's the same trick they did in mass effect uh with shepherd being right because you have to it's just the the exigencies of the narrative just needed needs it the necessities of it is just there well, I like I like that I like that method way better than I like you know let's say Fallout where you're just referred to as the courier or or the vault dweller. That's true. So that's huh, the whole can of worms in terms of uh, in terms of RPGs and voice acting, isn't it? Having having people having a defined name. Mm-hmm. Topic two of Templars and Mages. So, so in Dragon Age, yeah, you could you had six possible origins, but in Dragon Age two, you only really had two, as you mentioned, right? Human. Yeah. And I believe the only other thing, well, two, you could of course choose your gender and your class. Right. Right. I mean, gen- gender did matter for romance options. But I think of the two, the the one that really had more of a narrative weight was if you were a mage. Right. Because eventually, throughout the course of the game, one thing that they really do sell you, or at least really explore, is the Mage Templar conflict. And playing as a mage, there is that added dimension, the added layer of stakes involved. Like, are you going to sell out your fellow mage brothers and sisters and join the Templars, or at least have Templar sympathies? Or do do you join your mage brothers and sisters? So there is that definitely that added nuance. But... To go from six to two, Jeffrey, that's, that's a large number, especially especially in video games, uh, in video game prologues or, or choices. Well, I mean, my my stance is that it all depends on execution. It's fine if a you know you narrow choices for a player character. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to take some criticism for that, but if they're executed well and it improves the narrative, I'd rather have a couple finely crafted narratives than six mediocre ones. I felt like there were four four mediocre ones and two decent narratives um, in terms of the origins. Right, right. So I guess um, we've addressed the, some of the criticisms that Dragon Age 2 received when it first uh, came out, and still to this day, but still has a place in our hearts. Right, Jeffrey? It's Right. I mean, I suppose the essential theme of the game is the again the Mage Templar dynamic. Right. Right. And it was done fantastically, and it really grabbed you and made you invested in 
the rationales of why each group came to its conclusion. So just for those that haven't played Dragon Age or Dragon Age 2, and again, here there's going to be spoilers. In the world of Thedas, the mages are naturally born with uh, magic talent. Now, as great as magic talent is, it also essentially brings or invites demons to to try to seduce you into using your power to help them in exchange for more power. Magic has a price. And so the equivalent uh, church, the, you know, Church of Andraste, has a religious military... A branch. A military branch called the Templars, who are mage slayers, and they essentially police the mages, make sure there aren't any mages that have been given over to to demons blood magic is what it's called now i think this is a i guess one of the key things that really hit it home for me was in the intro to act three they spoke about how meredith the leader of the of the templars the more the mages pushed back the more uh she cracked down on the mages I really feel that it's a narrative about, you know, how tyrannies will sometimes naturally form from the concept of wanting to maintain order. Right. And then, but through the actions of trying to maintain order, the cause the disorder that they're trying to prevent. But what do you think? Well, no, that's fascinating as a concept, uh, that theme. Are you familiar with the pithy saying, the, the road to hell is paid with good intentions? Yeah. Uh, concept. That, so that is fascinating, actually, that um, Meredith, it, it's coming from a desire to maintain peace. Her methods, as flawed as they are, are springing forth from a source of nobility. The, and what is that nobility? To prevent chaos, to prevent suffering by demons. But ultimately, uh, in, that, in that pursuit of safety and security... I guess sometimes humanity is forsaken for the sake of security. Mm-hmm. And I, I suppose, you know, it, within the game, Knight Commander Meredith eventually procures a red lyrium idol. Which has been established previously uh, in, in Act the One. course of the game, yes, that it has intense magical properties. And... The downside to said magical property is that it causes you to go insane. So, okay, that's interesting. That's right. At the end, um, she does get possessed, or at least she indulges. Does she indulge, or is it, or is the fact that she turns to this red Illyrium doll or sword, is it, do you think it was the logical conclusion of the themes that we've been talking about? How how in her quest to provide safety for the people of Kirkwall, she becomes the very thing she swore to destroy. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's essentially it, is with the pursuit of trying to maintain order, she threw caution to the wind and sought power for the, in the thought that the power that she would gain would prevent these atrocities. Right. And then... At the end of the game, really the power that she sought created atrocities of their own. Right. And pushed one of your companions to 
create an atrocity, which we'll speak about later. So not to mention, of course, when it comes to Knight Commander Meredith is the the arrogance, the the frail human flaw of being able to to think that they would be an exception to that rule. I'd like to compare it to perhaps a a car with enormous an enormous engine, right? Where everyone feels that sure. I'm skilled enough to control this until you're not. Until you're not. But really though, power doesn't usually corrupt. I mean, the, there's the this game's theme is that one of them at least at least one of them is that good intentions or not power corrupts or power will cause difficulty and hardship but in real life i don't think that's the case circling back to the aforementioned criticisms earlier of dragon age 2 and they are valid criticisms after all i would argue and this is kind of why i like dragon age 2 a lot it's it's a different game it's a completely different game and that sounds like a, a cop-out, but in my opinion, when it comes to sequels, I think I would prefer a sequel that does, that does take something of the setting or something that's established and just tells a different story. And it's not just rehashing something that's already been said, right? right. And so I think the main thing, the thing that I like the most about Dragon Age 2 is the thing that, that is one of the criticisms of Dragon Age 2 is that the scale is pulled back. The scope is pulled back. Instead of traipsing and traveling, gallivanting throughout all of Ferelden, you are only relegated to really within Kirkwall and it's, it's outside uh, grounds. Instead of, meeting, um, instead of meeting all the different races uh, in their home turf in Ferelden, you just have bits and pieces of that culture within Kirkwall, i.e. the example would be the alienage, the, the Dalish, the elven alienage in, yeah. in Kirkwall. Now, well, I think in those terms, the reason, uh, just to put it into just one sentence, I think what I like the most about Dragon Age 2 is that I had the feeling that Bioware wanted to tell a story with Dragon Age 2 instead of facilitating a a story for the player in Dragon Age 1. Now, both of these are valid. You, If you want a, a story for your origin, for your warden, for your version of the warden, your warden is a, a female city elf mm-hmm. who had to fight tooth and nail just to get respect and had to witness firsthand the atrocities that is uh, done to her people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you, you go on a revenge rampage. And you're now just to escape execution. You join to be a warden, and you go, you go fight the archdemon to show how city elves are just as capable. Uh, yeah, exactly. As as much of a maligned race they are. The, the, here she is, the warden fighting the archdemon. If that that's one hundred percent a valid way to tell a story, right? That's one hundred percent the way to present it. What I like about Dragon Age Two is you're you're really watching or playing hawk's story yeah i use passenger yes you could make narrative choices for hawk you could um, choose the way hawk interacts with the world but at the end really there is a sense that hawk's story is hawk's story what do you 
What is that story, in your opinion? So for Hawk, I think, it's really just a man or a woman who is reacting to things that life just throws at him. He, he or she, right? Hawk's story really is one of a man or woman just trying to do the best they could with the circumstances they've, they've been provided. They really don't affect a lot of change in their setting. They're really reacting more than they are making choices. So Hawk fails a lot in Dragon Age 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, your sibling, whichever you pick, gets taken by either well one either dies right gets taken by the by the templar or joins the templar could join the circle mages if well actually i think if it's bethany bethany always if you don't take bethany with you she always gets shanghai she always gets taken by the mages right always yeah yes always and then you're uh not to mention your your mother falls victim, falls prey to a serial killer. As much as you prevent further bloodshed, the Canaries, the Canaries invasion, you the Viscount falls, the Viscount's son dies. As much as much effort you put into stopping the Mage Templar War, it still still happens. How can a person, you know, driven by such failures, keep keep failing upwards? The, <laughs> so I think you've hit it right in the head as well. Really, you're given a glimpse into Hawk's life. The peaks and the valleys, the triumphs, the trials, the failures of Hawk. And I love it. I love how how focused it is. I mean, comparatively speaking to, you know, the Warden, you're get again, you're fighting the Blight, you're enlisting ancient allies in the fight against an evil horde. This is a clearly defined villain. It's much more character, uh, you know, study than Dragon Age 1. Right. It's more character-driven. That's true. And in Dragon Age 2, I mean, it's a story of people also failing, of, of communication breaking down, of a system that's flawed, and the people just trying to live live the life that they've been given. The Mage Templar conflict. I mean, what was it? Unfortunately, with with the aforementioned Knight Commander Meredith's turn, Mm -hmm. because of the choices she's made uh, as Knight Commander, you could sympathize with her as a person. I mean, you could hate her, right? But what is she going to do? Right. Versus the Darkspawn. Versus the Darkspawn. Which is completely, you know... Oh, they're evil. (laughs) They're evil for evil's sake. They're evil for... uh, We're here... We're gonna we're gonna kill everyone, as opposed to Dragon Age Two, wherein it's flawed people doing flawed things. Yeah. So I think that hits it right on the head. And I could see why. Absolutely, a valid criticism of it is would be Dragon Age One wasn't that, and that's fine. I mean, that's an RPG. I mean, it's an age, it's a, a tried old mm-hmm. formula for RPG, right? But I guess. Again, just to put a fine point to it. Dragon Age Two was more, was more character driven and had more emotional weight for me, to be honest, than than Dragon Age ever did because of the scope, because of the the scale. Yeah. Topic three concerning the climax. In terms of the overall game, however, there's one particular point 
in the story or in the game that I think we've had a lot of conversations outside of of this podcast, right? Right. So just to kind of set up, you're, you're essentially a refugee and you go to a, you know, what is considered a free city, which is a self-governing city-state. Right. And as I recall, you're running away from the blight from the, from first, the first dragon game. Age. Dragon Age, actually, yes. And you meet quite a lot of people along your journey, but one of which is uh, a mage whose name is Anders, who uh, was in the first game's expansion pack. Right, Awakenings. Was it Awakenings? Yes. So at the very end of the game, Anders, uh, there's, again, a great conflict between the mages and... Right. The Templars are underneath the Church of Andraste, kind of, you know, it basically the Catholic Church if they worshipped Mary as the savior. So Anders essentially uses a spell to lift and destroy, I believe, the church, right? The Church of The Chantry, Andraste, yes. The Chantry indeed. of Andraste in Kirkwall, basically killing the bishop. The Mother Andraste, Superior. The Mother yeah. Superior of Andraste. Right, right. And starting, sparking all-out war between the mages and the Templars. And my, you know, just to sum up my feelings on it, I hated this moment. But before we get into that point, I think one thing that we do need to at least catch the audience uh, up is the the fact that all throughout, and this is Act Three, Act Three of a Act Three of the game. This is pretty much end game. No, jo- Josh, the, this moment was terrible, terrible for gaming, uh, <laughs> a human disaster. Uh, thank was you for it? listening. Thank you for <laughs> listening to our podcast. <laughs> that's all you need to know about Dragon Age. That, 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 that's all, folks. Let me get my ukulele. Nah, just just play it. Play us off, Jeffrey. Well, anyway, so this is Act Three of the game itself, right? So this is very much end game. And I believe this is the point of no return. As in after this point, after this quest, it is the precipice. You cannot go past this. Yeah, there's no more side quests after this. And so this point at this climax, this climactic moment is when both sides are about to, I believe, speak. They're about to have a talk. And then Anders, for better or worse, chooses to tip everyone's hand into a point of no return. And by the way, just to, just as a just as a correction, uh, he blows up the chantry. Actually, not by any magic. It was pure pure alchemy. It was it was alchemy. It was alchemy. It's referenced in his quest. It's referenced in his personal quest. Actually, that he wants you to gather specific ingredients. It was a uh, bat guano, sulfur, and uh, some other ingredient that is clearly is clearly explosive. Right. Uh, okay. Right. Right. And that's so. I think that that dovetails really well into why exactly I hate this moment. and and we're gonna segue into your thoughts. Your thoughts, Jeffrey. So. The main reason why I hated this moment is I didn't really particularly care for Anders. That's fair. And, you know, I mean, that's that's just preference, personal taste. The problem is that when 
Anders came out of the woodwork and then destroyed the Chantry. I had no clue why he did that or it seems so out of character for him. Right. All this time I thought he was he's part of your team. He's one of the good guys ostensibly. But he comes out and he does like a pretty evil thing. The the regardless of what you think of the Templars, the the mother superior of the Chantry was actually pretty decent. Right. No, she was she was shown to be sympathetic a sympathetic to, person. A sympathetic person uh, to mages. And the Kunari, which... Right. Were, the immigrants, the, the foreigners, who were... I, they were just different people. They were just different right. people. Right. So, essentially, I ignored Anders throughout the entirety, entire game. Right. And then he comes in and commits this heinous, heinous crime. Oh, absolutely. It was absolutely atrocious. And it really... And my belief is that they, the game designers did not do a good job foreshadowing and setting this moment up. You know, they didn't properly plant the information for the players in order for this payoff of this heinous crime to happen. So it's one of those things where, again, you're... You can go in and speak to Anders and help him gather the materials for this heinous crime. But if you hadn't been speaking with him this whole time, you completely miss those signs and miss those um, miss those moments. And I believe that the game designer should have made certain things necessary to continue the game, certain paths mandatory, so that there is that plant and payoff because this this moment is not skippable you can't there's no way around it it happens whatever you d- decide but anyways that sums up my the general premise of what i think okay um, what do you think well no it's just piggybacking off of that it is interesting right so in in other media uh we had like film or novel it's absolutely everything that you as a reader gets to see has to be planted by the author. There's no, everything is on purpose, right? Yeah. So now, I guess it, that is interesting, actually. I mean, you, well, how you're feeling is absolutely uh, legitimate, right? You, just to, just to clarify, you did not speak to Anders. You did not go out of your way to... To visit him throughout any of the acts? No. No, not at all. Okay. So what my point is in like books and movies, right? The director or the author has direct control of where you as a viewer should look at. Right? 100%. 100%. And so, but in video games, uh, there is an opportunity for, for the player to just miss all that miss anything like that i mean in even even linear linear narrative games like i don't know um uncharted or the Mm -hmm. last of us you you can miss you can still miss key character 
character comments that would just flesh out more of the character. Um, and the one I'm thinking of at the most, I'll be honest with you, is like you ever played a game wherein the characters are speaking and you're you have a care you have your party with you and they're interacting with each other building up camaraderie and but yeah. you don't you don't move forward because it's gonna cut the the voice the acting the dialogue gets cut by other voice lines from themselves uh the one i'm thinking of is something like vermintine vermintine does that there are cool little interactions between the characters but then you just hear you hear them say, "Oh, there's there's a rat assassin coming after us," so so he gets cut. So my point is, I think what you're what you're saying is is interesting because you can miss all that. Because I will say that they do absolutely plant the the seeds of Anders's quote unquote heel turn fairly well. If you bother to speak to Anders, you know, invest right. in it. So, and, and that's the central thing is that there there are other moments that are essential. You cannot, there's no way to get around it. That does, that does help establish certain characters, certain conflicts. Even in Dragon Age 2, you got to meet the mother's uh, superior, right? Sure. I mean, and that's what makes it so shocking is like, Okay, you just killed the mother superior, who was right. otherwise a decent person. If you didn't, if you could skip or go around meeting her, right? Then oh, he just blew up that building. There were some people inside. Right, right. Like there, there are certain things that were planted that were required. Right. But this one part of it was not, and that was a flaw in the game in my opinion it ruined this character so much for me that later on i avoided him even more because i knew at the end what was coming and i just couldn't bring myself to i I hated the character so much so that is interesting that is fascinating actually um because it does justify or at least they do give a reason as to why and it all depends actually whether or not you've pursued a friendship or a rivalry with anders so if you as you know anders has a demon or rather i forgot what a the spirit. A spirit a spirit who's coexisting inside him yes now it depends on whether or not you're a friend or a rival if you're a friend you call him out on it that he is justice you are you have become one and the same you and the concept of justice have become the same and so you do not even fathom humanity you only see uh see everything in black and white and so you are no longer human right um and i believe the same is with rival in that Anders realizes what he's done is wrong, and he's he asks you to kill him, actually, because he doesn't know what he'll do next, right? So uh, all of this, what I'm trying to get at is this: all of this content is is behind the the fact that you, as a player character, has to go out of your way to speak with a character to to engender this relationship with Anders. Right? Right. 
And in some ways, and this is just arguing from the other side, it you have to work towards having to get to know this character instead of, I suppose, the narrative handing it to you. Right. That's what I was alluding to as a video game, because you could, you as a player character get to choose your level of involvement. So, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there, there are ways that you can naturally make that happen. Like, you know, you, you can, an NPC come around and say, uh, I have a close affinity with Anders for some reason, and then and make Anders a required part of your okay. party okay there's there's ways to do it and there's ways to give the player more choice but but push them towards having enders in the party but let me put it this way sure. is the there's a fundamental flaw in uh in dragon age if you're in terms of stumbling on enders dragon age 2 right if you're playing a mage you're already fulfilling the the oh, role of the mage of the party. That's true. And I can't for the life of me really remember what my first playthrough. I think it might have been I think it might have been Warrior. I can't quite recall. But if you're playing a mage and you're unlike you're less likely to have another mage on the party. No, absolutely. For party balance reasons. If you're of that mind, of course. Yeah. Then what ends up happening is that you avoid it for mechanical reasons. Right, right. Rather than avoid avoiding him for story reasons. Now, I mean, that, that could be, you know, you, you could still definitely go out of your way. But the, it's putting up another layer between uh, the player character and the planting of this crucial plot point. Well, I mean, so pretty much what you're just, what you're yearning for is that... You want it to at least be foreshadowed that he's about to commit such a heinous action. Right. I mean, or perhaps even you go through a mission and if he's in your party, he's there. But if he's not, you come across him and he's happening happens to be there at the same time. Right, right. Uh, on a mission, right? And you could put that, you know, Templars are attacking Anders and or came to hunt Anders, or, you know, the, the, there were things that could have been done right. from a design standpoint, from making this essentially happen, and but still giving the player a choice. So, interesting, because they do, they do do that, but you have to do the companion quest, right? And I guess your, your gripe, if I may be so crude to imply, I don't want to put in your, would it be okay to call it a gripe? My educated criticism. Right, right. Is that since you didn't pick Anders, and it's completely subjective whether or not you pick it, and especially if you are a more mechanically minded, there is that added layer of why would I pick Anders, right? Why would he be in my party? Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, When it comes to Anders, I agree with you that maybe they could have foreshadowed or at least dropped hints about it but overall i think it was fine the way it was at least in my opinion because it was previously mentioned it was just you know you know how bad it was for mages and how the stakes were really high in that particular scene 
I don't know. I guess I just like the idea of being able to to be rewarded for interacting with my player with with my companions. I just like that idea. I will say that the shock was there and it it did feel like okay, this is this is the climax. This is this is for everything right here. It was quite memorable, wasn't it? In fact, we're still talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it did it did grab me in a way that uh you know, a lot of climaxes in a lot of other games wasn't able to Okay. I it did have the intended effect, but it also made me hate the character. Well, and I don't think that was quite intended. So, Jeffrey, just to there is a concept in wrestling, in professional wrestling, which I do love, which is one of my which is one of my passions. You either want cheers, you either want boos, you never want a dead crowd. I can agree to that. So, you know what? I find it memorable, the the climax of it. You found it memorable, but in uh, completely different terms. But we can both agree at least that the Mage-Templar conflict was really well done. Yeah. And I killed Anders five times. <laughs> Reloaded that save every single time. Go back, rewind, reload, <laughs> stab him again. <laughs> so yeah, um, so Jeffrey... So let's talk about some closing thoughts. It just is just, you know, in in conclusion for our bit of a Dragon Age 2 retrospective of sorts. Dragon Age 2, perfect game, no flaws, 7 out of 7, IGN. Uh, the bit, I believe, is 9 out of 10, it's okay. 9 out of 10, it's okay. I guess, I guess what I will say about, you know, Dragon Age 2, if you can overlook some of its the rush the rushed quality of it of the development and you don't come into uh dragon age 2 with the same concepts that you have with dragon age 1 it's a pretty enjoyable game in my opinion and it it's a great character study and it does allow you to find a specific tone of voice for the main character, the protagonist. But what do you think? So I'll, I'll tell you this right now. I, I don't know if I'm digging my own grave here, but I, I could pretty much... I, I'm one of the biggest video game apologists. I could forgive a lot of gameplay of a game if something, if there's that je ne sais quoi, that X factor that exists, that's present in the game itself. And for me, I think I really do like the the presentation of both the setting and the protagonist, as well as the side characters, as the the companions. The companions, sure. The uh, I I felt they were compelling, both the protagonist and said companions, and I really felt that I got to get close to these characters as well, and not just that, but also the setting. I really felt for Kirkwall as a city. Because, again, as mentioned, the scale is so intimate. It's so toned, it's toned down. It's, it's reeled back so we could focus more on the characters themselves. Now, am I saying it's a perfect game? As I mentioned, there's a lot to forgive. And I completely understand people can't get past the, the repeated assets, the rushed nature of it. But, yeah, 
I think I think uh, Dragon Age two one of my favorite one of my favorite RPGs. Yeah, I mean, in terms of RPGs, definitely in my top five. So I hopefully that's not just because we're contrarians, Jeffrey. Hopefully, this podcast, or at least this episode, demonstrated our reasoning. Definitely. All right. With that, thank you for listening to Discourse in Third Person. More episodes to come soon, and have yourself a great day.